0: From the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. If you have followed Jesuit-related headlines over the past few months, you might have heard about the situation in Nicaragua. In August, the government of dictator Daniel Ortega and his wife, Vice President Rosario Murillo, closed the Jesuit-run University of Central America in the capital city of Managua. They also confiscated the property including the Jesuit residents there. While these developments have captured the attention of the Society of Jesus around the world, they are just one part of a much larger trend of repression in Nicaragua. To learn more about the context, I was incredibly honored to speak last week with Juan Sebastian Chamorro, an economist by trade who ran for president of Nicaragua against Ortega in 2021, knowing full well at the time that the election would not be free and fair, Juan was arrested by the police in the middle of the night in June, 2021. He would go on to spend 20 months behind bars as a political prisoner, separated from his wife and daughter. Last February, Juan was one of 222 political prisoners from the country who was freed and put on a plane to the United States. Nicaragua has revoked his citizenship and Juan now lives here in exile with his family. This academic year he is serving as a visiting fellow at the Kellogg Institute for International Studies at the University of Notre Dame. I asked Juan to describe the context and background of the repression in his beloved home country. He also talked about the experience of his arrests, imprisonment and exile here to the US. We also discussed Juan's lifelong connection to the Jesuits and how his faith supported him during this unimaginable hardship. Juan is a member of one of the most prominent families devoted to public service in the history of Nicaragua. His aunt was the first female president of the country. One of his cousins was imprisoned at the same time Juan was. His commitment to carrying on his family's legacy despite the risks, not to mention his impassioned defense of democracy in Nicaragua, made this conversation one of the most moving interviews I have ever done. If you would like to learn more about how to support the Jesuits, students, and faculty connected to the University of Central America, visit jesuits.org slash Nicaragua. Thanks for joining us. Juan Chamorro, welcome to AMDG. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk. How are you?
1: I'm fine, Mike. Thank you very much for the opportunity to be here with you and your audience.
0: Oh, yes. No, absolutely. It's an honor to be speaking with you. We uh, here at the the Jesuit Conference have been following the news very closely from uh, Nicaragua in the past months, especially uh, as the the, the government there has uh, targeted the Jesuits among other Catholic groups and other parts of civil society and has seized the the university of central america and that story was reported widely and um as the jesuit university there it has certainly caught our attention we've been involved working on trying to respond to, the, to that in different ways and so i was uh invited you onto the show just to tell us a little bit about yourself and to give us some background uh, and the situation in Nicaragua, what's going on there in uh, your home country. So maybe we could begin. you could just introduce yourself to our listeners, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your, your own background.
1: Well, thanks, Mike, again for the opportunity. Um, I'm a Nicaraguan economist by training, but uh, after the crisis that erupted in 2018, I joined the uh, this table of negotiation with the uh, uh, the regime to try to solve the, the crisis that erupted after uh, Daniel Ortega tried to reform Social Security. And then I got involved in politics. Uh, I ran for uh, president in 2021. And uh, what Ortega did uh, was to put in prison all of us, all the opposition leaders. Uh, six uh, candidates were sent uh, to prison. I was captured, kidnapped from my house on June 8th. 2021, and I stayed on uh, about 20 months in jail, almost tw- uh, almost two years. When I was finally banished from Nicaragua in February of this year, uh, along with other 222 political prisoners, we landed in uh, in Washington after some negotiations with the with the Americans. So I'm enjoying uh, like this seven months of freedom. Uh, Uh, These days, very happy to be uh, here uh, in the U.S., obviously, you know, uh, banished from my own country. I was stripped from my nationality and I spent uh, almost two years in prison uh, trying to, uh, you know, uh, for criticizing this horrendous uh, dictatorship, this regime that is responsible for the assassination of more than 350 people. And as you mentioned in the introduction, the seizure, the confiscation, or I would say the robbery of uh, Universidad Centroamericana, UCA, the University of Central America, one of the most prestigious universities in Central America, founded by the Society of Jesus in uh, 1960, and it was one of the most... uh, important education uh, institutions in the country. Um, Ortega closed the university and confiscated uh, on the grounds of terrorism. He accuses the Jesuits of uh, doing acts of terrorism against his own regime. And what happened, among other things, is that this school, as all uh, Jesuit institutions, promote uh, thinking, promote uh, critical thinking. Uh, even Sandinistas were allowed to teach at uh, UCA some time ago. And um, in, when this crisis erupted, two things I, I think were very important to explain why Ortega confiscated the university. One was the, uh, prin- the, prin- the president of UCA, Father Jose Idiakes was called by the bishops of Nicaragua to be part of the table of negotiations, the, the very same table that I participated with. Uh, so there was an involvement of the, these Jesuit priests uh, in the uh, talks and negotiation to try to find a solution to the crisis. Uh, along with uh, so, many, uh, so some other Nicaraguans, including myself. And um, on May 30th, 2018, there was a big, a huge march, about 700,000 people marching in the streets of Managua, and Ortega fired against the demonstrator, killing 19 students. So what Father Idiáquez and the personnel of UCA did was to open the gates of the university to protect man- more than six thousand people actually were able to seek refuge into the, the university. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, so I, my analysis here is that this dictator, Ortega, and uh, his wife, Rosario Murillo, who is vice president, uh, never forgave uh, the Jesuit, Anuka in particular, for this act of uh, humanity, actually, of solidarity. And uh, he found the opportunity uh, and just uh, invented uh, this ridiculous accusation of terrorism, and closed the university. Uh, More recently, Ortega also closed the um, Incae School of Business. This is a school of business, uh, a a very uh, important uh, university in uh, Managua, affiliated with Harvard University School of uh, Business, Uh, and he just confiscated and and closed uh, this university as well. In total, Thirty university has been cancelled or confiscated in the country. Why this persecution against uh, universities and students? Well, because of the crisis that erupted in 2018, where was led by students who were uh, very active in protesting against Ortega at that time. So he just wanted to have complete control of the country. And I have to say that as we speak, we live in one of the most repressive. Dictatorships in the world. I mean, how can you imagine? Uh, can you imagine another country where um, the government shuts down uh, all private universities, control absolute control of state universities, and um, mm-hmm. not to mention the uh, closure and confiscation of all independent media, and uh, and the suppression of all uh, civil rights and uh, human rights in the country.
0: Mm, yes, yeah, so hard to believe, um, and I appreciate your description of some a lot of these different elements here, and I want to ask you some questions about a lot of the, the things you shared. but maybe we could go back. Could you help us understand you mentioned this crisis um, five years ago and you were involved in negotiating? Can you just tell us more about that and how you got involved to help us understand what had been, what has been going on for for years is not just the last few months. Um, so could you tell us some more about that?
1: Well, yes, the uh, these protests were throughout the country. I'm talking about April 2018, after Ortega wanted to reform the social security system. So, uh, college students, in solidarity with the elderly, went to the streets and uh, manifested against the uh, the regime. It became a very, very uh, popular. Uh, movement, and practically a revolution, I would say, with marches every week, with big demonstrations, uh, thousands of people, and in some cases, hundreds of thousands of people, and uh, Ortega saw that he was losing uh, power, he was losing control. So he started to, uh, to, as I said, um, shoot, again, uh, the demonstrator, killing people uh, with with bullets on the head, the neck, and the chest, this is not me speaking. Um, human rights organizations were allowed in the first weeks of the crisis to enter into Nicaragua and document what was going on. So this is this is our the reports from um, Human Rights Watch, the Inter-American Commission of Human Rights, and uh, many other um, human rights organizations, and uh, we. <clears throat> I started to find from different uh, perspectives. I was the head of uh, an economic think tank called, Funi- called Funides. Uh, we were mostly concentrated on economic analysis and social policies, but because of the importance of the foundation, they selected me, selected me as part of the negotiation table in uh, May 2018. And um, obviously what Ortega wanted was to just gain time and, uh, and not giving up anything. We were asking for um, a new elections that to cease and stop repression, which uh, Ortega didn't, didn't do. But he did allow this uh, entry into the country of this organization of uh, human rights that were later expelled. So what followed after that, the, the table wasn't able to reach an agreement and then started a series of attacks against um, uh, opposition leaders. Ortega captured more than 1,000 political prisoners. And at the beginning of 2019, uh, he called for another round of negotiation. And I was part of that uh, smaller round of negotiations in 2019, trying to find a solution, the liberation of the political prisoners at that time. And the um, and call for early elections and try to solve the, the, the issue peacefully. But obviously, Cortea continue in his strategy to let time to go by, pass by, and that we were only allow, uh, we were only able to get the uh, prisoners out of jail. This is um, March uh, two thousand nineteen, and and then he continued with more. More and more repression, as a, uh, to the point that he basically captured the entire opposition movement in um, in May 2021, and we spent uh, the the two almost two years uh, in, in prison. So, uh, so it has been a um, a process of power accumulation, repression from the Ortega Morillo uh, regime. He um, confiscated all this media. Uh, and now we are in the state of terror in Nicaragua. If you, for example, wave the national flag in Nicaragua, if you stop at a, at, a, at a corner and you wave the national flag, I'm not talking about a political party flag, mm-hmm. flag but, the, but the national flag, you go to jail. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, that's because during the crisis, uh, all Nicaraguans, regardless of their political ideology, use the Nicaraguan flag as a form of identifying as protesters against the regime so uh, now it's uh, probably the only place in the world where uh, having the national flag is a, is a crime uh, so uh, things like that happen if you um, if you for example uh, click a like on your facebook page to say for example myself and your phone is somehow captured or uh, or they detect through uh, anonymous uh, names, uh, friendly names, or, or do an investigation, you go to jail uh, by having some relationship with the opposition leader. So uh, the level of uh, persecution, the harassment uh, is tremendous in Nicaragua. It's a state of uh, of terror that, that we live. So, uh, you know, uh, and as a result, Um, 10% of the population have left the country, mainly to the United States and and Costa Rica. Mm. Uh, So we're in the middle of a huge humanitarian, political, and social crisis in in the country. And this confiscation of UCA, confiscation of 29 other universities, are the last uh, or the most recent um, uh, efforts of Ortega to uh, become... you know, an even more totalitarian regime.
0: Hmm. Can you talk about your decision to to run for president? So in in 2021, announced that you're running for president. How how did that um, become something you decided to do? And and were you aware of the dangers of doing that at the time?
1: Absolutely. I was completely aware. In fact, uh, our decision to... Um, run for president was an act of defiance against the regime. Uh, Ortega has absolute control of the electoral system. Mm. He uh, basically counts all the votes. So by that time, we knew that it was practically impossible to win an election, given the fact that he had control of that. I, as a a, uh, a civil society uh, member or a politician, I was not allowed to move uh, outside Managua, and for some weeks I ha- I was under house arrest. This is this is for eight months before my formal arrest. If there such as formal arrest here it was a kidnapping, but uh, so we knew that it was uh, going to be very an extremely very difficult thing to uh, to do. Uh, but the the objective here was to um, collect evidence of the fraud that Ortega was uh, planning to make. So uh, we as a different opposition leaders decided to uh, to do a primary process in 2021 to, um, you know, initiate a, a competitive process to select a single candidate that would face Ortega in the election, knowing that the, con- the possibilities of winning the elections were going to be very slim. But as a form of protest, as a form of challenge, uh, we knew uh, there were risks associated. Of course, we we were uh, aware of that, and uh, but we decided to uh, to stand uh, with our democratic values and decided to put up the fight in a peaceful and uh, in a peaceful manner, so to speak, challenging the the system by running in the elections. We, although we knew that we were. In high risk of being arrested. In fact, we had been under house arrest and um, police harassment for eight months. Um, they, I, I, I they, this was a risk that we were taking, but we never thought it was going to take uh, that long—twenty months.
0: Can you talk a little any about that experience? What was it like to be to be uh, kidnapped, as you said, and and as a political prisoner for for that long? Can you share anything about that experience? Sure. I was at home
1: at, at night. Uh, I, was, I had been um, summoned to the uh, prosecutor's office to uh, declare ag- against a uh, uh, supposedly case that they were building against me for the day after. And what they're doing, they were actually planning my arrest that very same night. So I was preparing for the hearing the following day, trying to build up a strong defense, uh, of my case, and then the police came, stormed into the house, jumping over the fences, and, um, and basically took me uh, in the middle of the night, which is illegal in, uh, according to the legal code in Nicaragua, uh, without any warrant from any judge or anything like that. And I was uh, taken, I was beaten and taken into a car, a police uh, car, to what is known El Chipote Prison. And at El Chipote, I was denied uh, the access of my lawyer. I, I couldn't talk to my lawyer, uh, and I was incommunicated, basically disappeared because my family did not know where I was. They assumed that I was probably there, but I, they didn't have uh, evidence until three months after. Hmm. So for three months, I didn't know anything about my wife that I, I just left at the house the day of my arrest, uh, screaming and crying and. And, uh, you know, calling the police not to beat me and uh, not to take me away. And my daughter, who was uh, finishing high school and going into into college. So I spent three months in uh, solitary confinement for most of the time. I wasn't allowed to read anything for the entire period, 20 months. I wasn't al- allowed to write. And I wasn't allowed to speak to other uh, mates from other cells. I could only speak very quietly with... Uh, uh, cellmates. The conditions were very hard. Uh, very little uh, food. Very little connections. As I said, communication with the exterior. We didn't know what was going on. And uh, until we were um, uh, put into, I was interrogated every every day, several times, and we were put on trial uh, on September 2021. Remember, we were captured uh, June. So uh, in September we have this uh, hearing, and they uh, programmed the the actual trial for February twenty twenty two. Obviously, you know, time went by. Christmas alone, completely alone, uh, without any communication with my wife. In fact, I I wasn't able to talk to my wife or my daughter for eighteen months. Um, and then I wa- in trial, I was sentenced to 13 years in prison for treason to the home country, to the homeland. Uh, again, I didn't have access to a lawyer until the very day of the trial, and uh, I couldn't have a, a, a private conversation with my lawyer. It was a complete farce, the trial. Uh, all the witnesses were, uh, were police officers. And, uh, and then I was sentenced to 13 years in prison February 23rd, 2022, the day of my my birthday, coincidentally. Mm. And um, so I, you know, I I spent the entire 2022 behind bars uh, doing basically nothing, just exercising, praying, praying Mm. a lot to St. Ignatius in particular, Mm. Um, praying the rosary, doing exercise, as I say, and try to uh, live one day at a time and try to... uh, uh, to think about life, to think about freedom, to think about uh, all the things that were deprived from uh, in a very unjust uh, way. And it was uh, one day in in February. I was sleeping, and a police officer came to me and, and gave me uh, my civil clothes. I took, I, I put them on, and um, in a couple of hours we were driving along the city of Managua. We didn't know where we were headed. They never told us, and we were uh, we were. Uh, we were um, going to the uh, international airport, put into uh, an airplane. Um, the, uh, the American uh, Department of State uh, actually arranged that, uh, that plane and uh, we arrived in, in D.C. Uh, February 9th of this year. I was able to finally see my wife and my, my daughter, uh, very happy to be uh, obviously in freedom, but deprived of my nationality. In exile, uh, confiscated of all my assets and properties, and uh, but with the faith in God that uh, all those prayers that were mentioned in all those uh, moments of uh, asking God to help us to find freedom, uh, He He gave us He He gave us that 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 moment uh, February 9th, for which I'm uh, absolutely and for all my life gonna be grateful.
0: Mm. So your wife and daughter were were already in the United States at at that point, or they followed you soon after? No, that is
1: correct. After my arrest, uh, my wife had to flee the country Mm. uh, illegally. My daughter, who is American, had been accepted to uh, the University of Notre Dame. She came to Notre Dame uh, to study architecture. Uh, So so when I was uh, liberated, uh, my wife was in Houston, Texas, living at that time, uh, almost two years of... Mm. Uh, I had been there for almost two years, and my, my, my daughter was uh, starting uh, her um, her third semester uh, at Notre Dame. So um, <clears throat> uh, so uh, we met we met finally uh, that day. Obviously, they flew uh, as lo- uh, as uh, when when they heard the news of our liberation. Mm-hmm. We uh, they flew to uh, to Washington, and we were able to meet.
0: Uh, sure. Well, my goodness! Thank you for for sharing that story. And again, it's, it's, it's impossible to imagine. Um, you you mentioned um, your connection even to, to St. Ignatius, and you have some connection to the Jesuits. And maybe there's a chance to share a little bit about, about that. And also, then um, the yuca for those of us who are, are not from Nicaragua. What was the, the role of the yuca within the, the, the country? Uh, how important was it? It seems like it was uh, an important institution uh, in the, the country. So if you're able to share any connection with um, the Jesuits. Well, yes, I, I, I've been uh, connected to
1: the Society of Jesus since I was five hmm. years old. I entered into the Central American School, Colegio Centro America, it's a Jesuit school. They do have another school, the Loyola School. I uh, graduated from high school there in 1989 I spent a year at UCA studying sociology and then moved to the Jesuit University of San Francisco and then Georgetown University so uh, most of my life has been uh, related uh, to the Jesuit I also when I returned from my PhD I I I worked at UCA uh, at one particular uh, organization that the Jesuit there. I was a member of the board of directors of a, of a micro-lending uh, institution that they also have there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have multiple, uh, UCA has had multiple um, activities, institutions, the John 23rd organization uh, helping poor people in rural areas. Then there's a program called Fe y Alegría, which is... Um, a program that has about a hundred and fifty—I forgot—the uh, number of schools that they help. They collect uh, money every day, and they reinvest in those uh, schools in poor areas of uh, Nicaragua. Um, so Anuca itself had been like uh, one of the most respected institutions. As I said, you know, the, uh, the first private in- um, university in the in the country and uh, quite a very important organization in the development of, of Nicaragua sin, since the 1960s. Uh, obviously, you know, the uh, history of Nicaragua uh, is, is been a very particular one with revolutions, dictatorships, dictatorship again, uh, so always uh, uh, what I would say about the, the uh, Jesuits in Nicaragua is that they've been really always worry about the poor people, the dispossessed, uh, and try to um, fight the, uh, the injustices that are very common in, in Latin America society. So uh, they always had this interest in, uh, in teaching us, the, uh, the students of the Jesuit order, to be aware of the place that we were living in, a country that was extremely poor, but with great uh, richness, with great opportunities to grow, but for many reasons have not been able to develop. Uh, One of them is obviously the presence of dictatorships, of elites that basically control the the political power and suppress uh, the people. And this is exactly, this is precisely what we are facing at this moment, and this is precisely why Daniel Ortega at this moment is attacking the Jesuits in particular, but the Catholic Church in, in general. We have to remember that we have one of the most popular bishops of the country, Monseñor Rolando Alvarez, in prison, sentenced to 26 years in prison after he refused to take the plane, the very same plane that uh, we were forced to take in February of this year. He refused um he refused to get into the plane and a week later he was being sentenced to 26 years in prison there are other five catholic priests in prison at this moment there were other six priests uh, liberated with us on the plane that we share um, i would say a very spiritual moment uh, in jail moment of praying moment of uh of uh, of thinking about the importance of God in our lives. Uh, They were were fortunately uh, with us on the plane, but Monsignor Alvarez decided not to uh, leave the country and keep his fight in the jails of uh, Nicaragua. We haven't seen him. We we haven't known anything from him since April of this uh, year. So you can imagine how this persecution against the Catholic Church is becoming more and more Um, perverse in the case of uh, Nicaragua and this kind of, uh, and I really want to thank you, Mike, for the opportunity because it's extremely important for the American people, for the world in general, to know what is happening in Nicaragua, to profess religion is a crime in Nicaragua. We're about to celebrate St. Francis uh, Day, one of these days, and and in a church in Boaco, Nicaragua, St. Francis, the saint, is in prison, right? He cannot live. The church itself. He cannot leave the temple. A Police officer are there stopping the people of Boaco to take the image out of the uh, uh, the temple to do the procession that they you, they have been doing it for centuries. Mm. So this this level of of repression. One thing is to repress political figures, dissidents, uh, politicians. But now we are in the process that the images of saints in temples are being repressed, are being not mm. allowed to go into a, a procession. Why? Because Ortega doesn't want any kind, any kind of gathering of people, even in state universities. Just to give you an example, the very few state universities that are operating, it is prohibited for students to form groups in, let's say, an open space, more than five students at once. If someone, is a teacher sees a group of five students, speaking about sports or whatever the uh, kids do, uh, someone from the school will come uh, and say, "You know, you cannot gather." So the fear of uh, demonstration is so great that has gone to these ridiculous extremes of uh, uh, the one uh, of the things that I mentioned.
0: So, from where you are now in the United States, uh, in exile. How are you still connected? What are you working for? What do you hope for for the future of your country?
1: Well, I am at the University of Notre Dame. I'm very happy to be here. I'm a visiting fellow. um, And uh, basically I'm going to be here for the uh, academic year uh, writing a book. And telling uh, pretty much the things that we've been talking about, mm. uh, a book in English that will uh, describe the atrocities of the uh, of this re- horrendous uh, regime, the violations of human rights from a personal perspective, kind of sharing th- kind of the stories that I'm I'm sharing with you and your audience, mm-hmm. uh, but also uh, constructing this uh, history of how this. Uh, horrendous uh, dictatorship came into being, how how Ortega was able to acquire so much power uh, in order for um, the academic community and the the community in general, the war in general, to know the uh, importance of being aware of uh, totalitarian regimes that unfortunately are flourishing not only in Latin America, but also in Africa with a series of coup d'etats over there in Asia, and that democracy the principle that this nation has been founded on is under great threat uh, because many people in these countries feel that, you know, maybe democracy is not the best system to solve their problems. And uh, unfortunately, many leaders in the world now are more uh, willing to uh, go over rights, human rights, civil rights, in order to uh, bring solutions uh, for. Uh, a short-term solution that at the end are not going to be solutions at all, because if you don't build a democratic um, rule of law kind of society, uh, things are going to be uh, complicated. I want to just, uh, um, you know, comment on the importance that something that I'm going to be mentioning in the book, obviously, is the,
0: is the things that we
1: talked about uh, in jail and the importance of uh, uh, when you're in jail, and especially when you're isolated, um, when you are under solitary confinement, when you when you cannot talk to uh, um, your cellmates and so on, uh, you start thinking about your own life, and God becomes even more important in your life. And, uh, and the source of uh, faith and hope that I was going to go out uh, made me a stronger person in jail. And, and, and I'm a stronger person right now in freedom because of this experience and because the touch of God. I, I, I always say that we were liberated through a miracle. Mm. We were sentenced to 13 years in prison. And I feel that God uh, touched ourselves with his grace, listening to our prayers, and this is very, very uh, personal thing that I want to share with my readers.
0: Mm, no, thank you for for sharing that. Um, what, what can I mean? I know it, it seems like only in regime change will there be hope for democracy to return to Nicaragua for human rights to be respected there. Um, what can our listeners do, most of whom are American and also Canadian, but listeners around the world who hear our, our show? Is there anything that um, U.S. citizens uh, can do to, to help kind of raise awareness or take some sort of action that you think would be helpful?
1: Well, first of all, uh, I think one first objective is to be informed, to know what is going on, uh, because uh, with all the problems in the world, such a small country like Nicaragua uh, might, might not be perceived. And, you know, it's it's extremely important to create awareness of the atrocities that are being committed every day in, in Nicaragua. And when you attack human rights and when you attack the church or the freedom of religion, to be more more general, uh, you're not attacking the, uh, the Nicaraguan people. You're attacking humanity. That's why these people have to be Uh, uh, brought to trial for crimes against humanity, uh, depriving a citizen of its nationality. It is a crime, according to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, Article 16. So so it is extremely important for the listeners, for American people, Canadian people, people in general, to know that these things are affecting all of us. Uh, When human rights are violated, part of you, Mike, part of uh, your listeners are being violated. So um, uh, there are many forms of uh, take actions, you know, to go there and uh, spread the word what is happening, uh, especially if you belong to uh, to a church community and explain, you know, this is something happened. There is a bishop in Nicaragua in jail just because of his thoughts, just because he thinks that uh, freedom uh of uh, religion is important and he was put in jail and um, solidarity uh, chains um, uh, you know helping people um, helping uh, the cause in in many ways uh, uh, but to be informed I think is the first is the first step and once you get informed you start searching and looking at different ways of uh, of participating. Uh, for example, right now we are pushing the idea that Bishop Alvarez and Bishop Baez received the Nobel Peace Prize, for example. Hmm. Uh, we think they deserve. Uh, Monsignor Baez had to go into exile. Uh, he lives in Florida right now. He cannot return. If he goes, he goes to jail. And Alvarez is in jail. And this is a good example of uh, two priests... Two pastors that have sacrificed uh, many things, uh, in addition to all the things that priests have to sacrifice in their in their um, in their lives, um, and there there must be a recognition of the fight of the Nicaraguan people through uh, through this uh, uh, prize, for example. Um, but again, the um, the closure of UCA, of Incae, of all these things have to be known. And denounced throughout the world. So, uh, so when change ca- comes, and I, I, I do have faith and hope, knowing about the history not only of my country but throughout the world that dictatorship they, they don't last forever. They finished. Hmm. and Ortega's regime has a finished date, and it will, this date I hope will be soon. Uh, it will make it. We can make it sooner if we work every day, every day to. Uh, uh, to combat this uh, this injustice, and from my position right now into exile, is to create awareness of what ha- what is happening, to write about this, to present and to uh, document the um, the uh, the atrocities uh, of of this regime, uh, and for a practical purpose as well, my because we need to build memory and history, so cases can be built to. Demand justice for the victims. As I said, there, there are three hundred and fifty families who lost a loved one killed by the police. We need to bring these people into justice. We saw the justice coming twenty-five years uh, after uh, the assassination. of the with priests in, in Spain, it's a lot of time. I understand that, but at least justice was brought. The responsible, the material responsible for those assassinations of the. Uh, the, the the rector of my high school, by the way, Amado Lopez, who I, I knew him when I was a kid, was assassinated in in in, in, in uh, El Salvador. What happened in Spain, where uh, justice was brought, and a and a responsible, a colonel was resp- responsible for assassination, is in jail now. So these are signs of hope that justice must prevail. Not in order to find revenge, not in order to find satisfaction of putting these people in jail, but to prevent that these criminals or other criminals see the impunity as a way of doing it again. So I think it's extremely important to work on justice as well.
0: Just before I I let you go, if there's anything I haven't asked you or anything else you wanted to share with our audience, uh, give you the the floor to, to share anything else.
1: Well, I, I just wanted to share that, um, as I mentioned, uh, St. Ignatius, and I guess uh, I'm sure your audience is uh, uh, somehow related to the, uh, to the Jesuit order, and uh, I, wanna, um, I just want to, to mention that every day we did this prayer to St. Ignatius. Uh, that I think is extremely beautiful. And I think the importance of prayer, this is something that I learned in, in, in jail, is that you have to pray um, things that uh, comes from, touches your heart. You know, it's not a matter of just praying, but you have to find a prayer that it touches your your your, your heart and has a meaning for, for you. So we have this, uh, um, this prayer, the uh, take and uh, receive prayer mm. that I would like to, uh, Uh, to say just to uh, give you an example of the things that we were saying in jail and the, the prayer goes like this take lord and receive all my liberty my memory my understanding my entire will all that i have and call my own you have given it all to me to you lord i return it everything is yours do with it what you will so the beauty the beautiful about this uh, prayer is the first part talks about the gratitude of the things that god has given us and the willingness and this is the the difficult part the willingness to sacrifice what has given to you, what is important to you, the material things, the uh, the money, the possessions, the uh, all the things that uh, you feel that you deserve. But this sacrifice, this willingness to sacrifice what is given to you by God in pursuit of a greater purpose, in pursuit of freedom, of democracy, of justice. Uh, I think um, when I heard every day this uh, prayer in jail um, helped me a lot in getting strength uh, when I felt dispossessed, when I felt that my capacity to move, to do anything, even, um, even to eat, depended dependent on someone else. Uh, when you are deprived of all these uh, uh, things, you should feel the gratitude of God, of what God has given you.
0: Mm, yeah, that the, the great sushipe prayer from saint ignatius and the, from the spiritual exercises It's so beautiful and to hear that you prayed it there did you pray that on your own or a community you said you weren't able to speak money but
1: i had a i had a cellmate who was a seminarist uh, for a couple of years mm. so he knew the, uh he knew the prayer uh, in detail i didn't know it i have to be honest mm. uh, um so he he uh, he had uh, he had a very very uh, in his memory, so uh, so he will do it uh, every every night at around eight PM before going to
0: bed. Hmm. Well, thank you so much for that story. Uh, very moving uh, to hear all of your your stories, and um, it's an honor for us to be able to share some of them uh, with our listeners. And we'll look forward to the book and any other ways we can. Uh, support you and help you uh, tell that story is so, so important. So, thank you so much, uh, Juan Sebastian Chamorro, uh, for this time and for all that you're doing and continue to do.
1: Thank you, Mike. Thank you very
0: much. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach. Our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Megan Leepsch, Becky Sindelar, and me. Connect with the Jesuits online at Jesuits.org, on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at We Are The Jesuits, and facebook.com slash Jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting jesuits.org slash weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation with the Jesuits, connect with a Jesuit vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. You can subscribe to AMDG on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire.